Welcome to In-House Legal, where we cover a variety of issues pertinent to the general counsel and in-house legal departments of small, mid-size, and large organizations. Join host Randy Milch each month as he discusses the latest developments, trends, and best practices for this very busy and often complicated area of law. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, my name is Randy Milch, and I'm the host of In-House Legal on the Legal Talk Network. I'm honored and happy to lead off the revival of In-House Legal with one of the most accomplished general counsel serving today, Mark Rolick, the Executive Vice President and General Counsel of Mass Mutual Financial Group. Mark's position at Mass Mutual is actually his fourth stint as general counsel of a public company. So the experience Mark brings to running in-house legal departments is unparalleled. Mark, how are you today? Thanks, Randy. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, frankly, I uh, not only can't keep a job, but cities give me the toss, too. Uh, I was brought up in Michigan. I uh, went to the University of Michigan, then to George Washington Law School, and started practicing uh, in Seattle as a litigator. I was out there for 13 years, uh, went in-house with Pacific Northwest Bell, which became U.S. West, and then they shipped me off to uh, Minneapolis. From there, I uh, was shipped to Denver for 13 years, uh, where uh, over time I became uh, general counsel and secretary of uh, U.S. West. We sold that company to Quest, of course, of course as you probably recall, uh, and then I took the general counsel and secretary job at Storage Tech, which was a uh, data storage company in Boulder, Colorado. That company was sold to Sun in 2005, and I headed off to Fisher Scientific in Hampton, New Hampshire. Uh, same position, general counsel and secretary. I started in April of 2005, uh, but in May, I was signing an NDA to sell that company. Uh, and so we hadn't even moved. And so I'm thinking, what, what are we, what's, what we going to do next? Because the company is clearly destined not to be around for long. Uh, so when I got the call from uh, uh, the CEO of Mass Mutual in July of 2005, I took it. And I took the job in December of 2005. And I'm now responsible for law, the corporate secretary, government relations, internal audit, uh, corporate compliance, government relations, facilities, real estate, and corporate uh, business resources uh, at Mass Mutual. It's quite a story, Mark. I've, I've stood in awe of you many times at your, uh, your resilience and uh, also the fact that you keep on getting hired to me means that everyone recognizes you know what you're doing when you take over these legal departments. So this is really going to be a treat for us to go through a little bit of this. So you've, you've seen a number of legal departments. Do you have any general advice for, for lawyers who want to become a general counsel or actually want to go in-house and then become a general counsel? What, what should they do? How should they organize their lives to get that done? You know, Randy, I, I guess I would talk, focus on uh, three areas. Uh, first of all, what is the non-legal that I think is valuable for them to have? Uh, what is the legal? Uh, and then where do you get those skills? Uh, first of all, uh, and probably as important uh, as any of the legal skills are sort of the non-legal skills you need to be effective in-house or as a general counsel. Number one, you really got to know business. Uh, you got to know business 101. Uh, you need to understand finance, uh, financial measurements, not only for just your department, uh, but, but for the company as a whole, so you can be effective as a member of the leadership team. 
um, you need to have sort of the curiosity to to learn about uh, your business and the the strategies of the business, because to be effective as an in-house attorney or the general counsel and be strategic, you really need to know where the company is going and why it's going where it's going. Developing relationships are so key. Uh, you need to read your audiences. You need to understand their goals, their objectives, their values, their interests, uh, and so that you you really can interact effectively with your uh, peers and those in the business. Um, I would say you need to take complex issues and make them simple. Uh, as one of the the people I used to work with, you got to bring it down to ducks and bunnies, like the little ducks, the little bunnies, uh, and you need to take the the complex legal issues and make it understandable, succinct and crisp. So communication skills are absolutely critical. Uh, assembling and developing teams. Uh, you know, you're only one person and the strength is all about the team around you. And so to assemble the right team, to develop the right team is absolutely critical. Uh, you need to be able to manage an organization. Uh, so you need to be able to allocate work. You need to understand what it costs to allocate work to various places, whether it be to outside uh, counsel or whether it be to the in-house people, the paralegals, the paralegals professionals. Uh, you need gravitas. So it's kind of hard to, to define or figure out quite how to obtain it, but you need to have that gravitas. And I think, last of all, you, you really need to uh, be somebody who wants to you know, touch the stars. You want to be something higher and better and drive your department to be that. Um, and back to the business, I would say MBAs are valuable. So uh, getting a business degree, I'd highly recommend. On the legal experience side, um, and this is sort of substantive areas, you know, to be a general counsel, you're going to have to know something about corporate and securities law. Uh, you're just going to have to know that. Corporate governance, you're going to have to pick that up along the way. Um, as the world becomes much more regulated, you're going to have to understand the regulatory process. You may not have to understand the nuances of the rules at the FCC or the FTC, but you're going to have to understand generally how the regulatory process works. Litigation is important. Uh, every company gets involved in litigation, unfortunately, and you need to understand how that process works. Uh, and, and in particular, any of the big issues like class actions or investigations uh, need to understand that process. Um, then I would say probably less important but valuable to know a little bit about our, you know, the overall risk and dispute uh, management, uh, labor and employment matters, and executive compensation. Uh, so where do you learn all this? Um, you know, uh, first of all, law firms are a great place to get the basics as far as uh, learning how to practice law, learning how to write well, uh, learning how to really have those good legal skills. Uh, I would say uh, at some point then uh, going in-house. Uh, and if you want to be a general counsel, I think uh, you need to have that in-house experience. Uh, when you talk to search firms, they would say for general counsels now, they're looking actually for sitting general counsels, and we can get to that in a second, or for people that have already been in-house. In and so you say, well, wait a second, if only sitting general counsels how, get these jobs, how do you get them? Well, you probably got to go in-house and move from an in-house job to become a general counsel, either at that firm uh, or somewhere else. So, so again, I would say uh, those are the areas to, to pick up the expertise that you need both on the non-legal side and on the legal side. That's great, Mark. Um, that's a very extensive list that you gave. Uh, it, it sounds daunting, but I think that your, your point that you need to pick a, pick a, way, a way in and work hard once you get in is the, is, the, is the real key to this. Obviously, the general counsel is a generalist. It's in the title, but uh, it's important, I think, to, I think you and I both agree, to find your way in and then work hard at a place that uh, you think is a meritocracy and, and, and get promoted. Totally agree. 
So one interesting thing that you've done, Mark, is in addition to running the legal departments, as you said at the beginning, you've also undertaken a leadership role in administrative functions, you know, compliance, government relations, corporate administration, you had, you've had the HR function. So you have a broader view, I think, of leadership than simply the, the legal department. And I think you also have a broader view of organization. Have you, have you figured out any key tips for and basic rules for successfully managing large groups of attorneys and, and other professionals? Yeah, I'll really make three points here, Randy. Um, first, what you and I do is uh, in many ways simple. It, it may be hard to execute, but uh, I would say it's uh, somewhat simple. Uh, four things uh, that I focus on uh, this first aspect. You pick the right people. Uh, deciding who's on the team uh, is what it's all about. Uh, you're only as good as your people. You've got to pick great people and uh, have them be a part of your team. So that, I would say, is number one. Uh, number two is uh, you need to uh, set the objectives. Uh, and by that, you need to work up with your CEO and the board of directors to understand what the strategy is, uh, what, the, what the expect out of the company, and uh, frankly, uh, what the legal group can do to help uh, advance that strategy. And then you've got to work across your peers, the leaders of the various business units or the business, to understand what their objectives are and what uh, they want to accomplish so that you can help them uh, accomplish that. And then you work with the team below you. Uh, by that, the lawyers, uh, the, the paraprofessionals, the others, and the various parts of whether it be the legal organizations or somewhere else. And they often, not often, I would say 99% of the time, have the best ideas. You know, this isn't like when my grandfather worked at Chrysler where, you know, he was on the line and uh, he um, just put the part in the cars that went by. And uh, uh, to ask a question was to slow down the line, so you never did that. Here in the current world, the people closest to the customer the people closest to the issues have the best ideas. So getting the view from the board and the CEO where they want to go, the peers, what their objectives are, your team, how best to accomplish those, you set the, the objectives. One of the things that I've uh, learned as I've gone through my career is if I ask Randy to do good work, I'd be surprised if I'm going to rate you higher than a B at the end of the year because your rating or your view of good work is different than mine. If I ask Randy to do the following 10 things, I'm going to get those 10 plus two more. Uh, and so being clear on expectations uh, is really valuable. Then you've got to reward and recognize the folks. Uh, you, you know, it, it's very important uh, that you uh, reward and recognize those that, that really perform. And as part of that, uh, to, to get them to perform, you clearly got to help them. So, so helping, one of the things I do is enabling the team, whether it's resources, whether it's funding, whatever, help them get to their objectives so I can reward and recognize those that really have done the, the job well. And then one of the things that we got to do, and this may be the harder side of it, is you got to decide who gets off the team. Uh, hopefully people perform well and do well, but to the extent that they don't, you've got to have the fortitude to, to make the changes. So as one of our board members uh, said, uh, former uh, uh, Chairman CEO Wyeth, you know, whenever a good, have a good reason to terminate someone, take it. Uh, and so if somebody's not performing, uh, you've you got to make, make that change. The second thing I think is very valuable if you want to have a, uh, a good group and lead them well is create a personal leadership philosophy. You want to articulate to your team what you will do, what you expect, and what you will not tolerate. And then uh, I put this in a document that's about two pages long of uh, bullet points. Give it to the team and ask them to hold me accountable to my personal leadership philosophy. For example, in the area of uh, um, what I will not tolerate, 
any type of harassment or lack of uh, respect for one another or valuing one another, you don't get two strikes or three strikes. You've already got your first two, uh, one strike, and you're out. So clearly uh, uh, something that's very important to me. Third, you know, you talk about rules uh, that I've sort of developed uh, for uh, being successful. Uh, recently, I read uh, the book Rumsfeld's Rules. I don't know if you've read that one yet. Uh, you know, he worked for three presidents, Don Rumsfeld did. And uh, I, I sort of looked at the whole book and I said, you know, gee, I wish through my career I'd created my set of rules. And so I started to create my list uh, this late in my career, and I'm, I'm thinking about up to about four pages now. And, then, you know, I'll just tick off some of the ones that are on my uh, document that I particularly like. Always act with routine urgency. If you wait to solve for every criticism, you'll never make a decision. And remember that a delay or a non-decision is often a decision in and of itself, and it may be the wrong one. usually is. Um, if you don't measure it, you won't get it. Never skimp on technology or education. When smart people ask dumb questions, listen. If you're the smartest person in the room, you have a weak team. Keeping a non-performer around is more destructive to the team than the incremental value to them in not making the tough decision. And I see this time and time again. Uh, we spend a ton of time trying to make our non-performers average. We should spend all of that time making our stars superstars. The other thing I really focus on, one of my rules, is we treat the company's assets more dearly than our own. We don't stay at Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton's. We don't do it. Uh, we treat the, uh, the shareholders' uh, money uh, and assets more dearly than we do our own. I would also say that there are very uh, few uh, occasions to celebrate. Don't miss them. It's one of the things that my dad actually taught me, and I truly believe. I would also say as far as uh, uh, you know, most decisions have all the facts, and it's the weight we put on those different facts that creates good judgment. So, so when you look at the facts, how you weigh them is really uh, uh, important. And then also I would say when people lose money, they have no sense of humor. Uh, so keep in mind that you are really entrusted in the assets uh, of the shareholders, or in our case, the policyholders, and you need to get the uh, returns for them or they'll have uh, no sense of humor. I guess the last one I'd say is I stole one from Don Rumsfeld that I put in my list. It's one he stole from uh, Charles de Gaulle, uh, and that's very simply the quote, the cemeteries of this world are filled with indispensable men. So maybe I'll write my own book of rules some, someday, but those are sort of the key points uh, that I would outline at this point, Randy. Well, Mark, I'm glad we got some of the rules out uh, to the public, at least at this stage, so we don't have to wait for your memoirs. Maybe we'll figure out some way to, to widely distribute them, because I think they're great. We're going to take a break right now before we go on to our next segment, and it's going to be a message from one of our sponsors. This is normally the time in our show when we hear a word from our sponsors, and this could potentially represent an opportunity for you. In-house legal is seeking sponsorship. If you are interested in participating in our programming or would like more information about rates, please contact the team at Legal Talk Network at info at legaltalknetwork.com or go to the website at www.legaltalknetwork.com and click on Advertise. Welcome back to In-House Legal. I'm your host, Randy Milch, and with me today is Mark Rolig, the Executive Vice President and General Counsel of Mass Mutual Financial Group. Mark, before the break, we discussed the organization and management of the in-house legal function. Now I'd like to turn to the question of how do you ensure that your legal department is a strategic asset to your company? 
It's clear to me anyway that, the, that we remain in an era when corporate overhead is constantly under pressure and that legal departments are generally cost centers, not profit centers, and so are prime candidates for the paring knife. How do you ensure that your department is constantly adding value to Mass Mutual and the other companies where you've led the legal function? You know, Randy, as you and I know, the general counsel and the in-house legal groups have sort of evolved over the years. You go back probably to the 20s, 30s, 40s, uh, the in-house uh, groups may have consisted of a general counsel, maybe a corporate secretary, and that was about it, uh, that you know, would attend the board meeting and take the minutes. Uh, then uh, somebody said, gee, you know, um, we're spending a lot of money with outside counsel. Let's uh, create uh, in-house law firms. And they did. They were, uh, I was part of one. U.S. West had a huge in-house law firm. I think we had over 160 attorneys and uh, uh, had every function of a law firm uh, covered. Then sort of the third phase, somebody said, well, wait a second, this doesn't make sense uh, because uh, we need particular expertise in particular jurisdictions. And so what they started to do is uh, um, really create uh, the mix and match. Where does outside counsel and in-house counsel add the greatest value? I would say now we're moving to another stage, which is very interesting, and that is moving beyond just being lawyers and just providing the law, but being strategic. So how do we add value to the business? How do we help the business meet its objectives? And so as we try to think about that, well, what we do every year is we create a strategic long-range plan. So what we do is we take the company's strategies and tactics, and we think of ways that we can uh, use our, our expertise and our, our legal expertise to advance the business. Uh, and so it's beyond just the high-quality, responsive legal work. But what, what additionally or unique can we do to advance the business? So we create the, the, our view, best view of what those are, sort of objectives. Then we discuss them with the business, and, and this is really important and valuable. We want their input. We want to prioritize what's important to them, but also it, frankly, is a bit of a marketing tool. They'll say, gee, you're here to help me get my objectives accomplished? That's great. This is a law group that I, I like. So it moves the law group from being just the cost there, being some, uh, an entity that, frankly, is helping uh, advance the strategy of the company. Then we take these sort of uh, strategies and tactics that really get down to even specific items, like uh, by so-and-so day we'll file a piece of legislation in the state of Utah that says blah, and then we'll assign those to individuals. So it's all aligned. So the individual that's working on a particular project knows how their project fit, fits into a legal strategy that fit, fits into a specific company objective. So it's all uh, one part of an, an overall strategic long-range plan. Matter of fact, we just finished our 2015 plan, and uh, it's about 80 pages long, uh, distributed to all the attorneys. So we all know what we're all working on. Classic examples of uh, the value of this, and Randy, uh, I know you know the telecom business. Uh, back when I was at U.S. West, uh, you know, one of the things that we were challenged by is that we couldn't get in the cable business. And so uh, we wanted to be in the, the cable business because we were offering telecom services but wanted to go broader. And so we came up with a strategy that uh, what we would do is uh, argue to the uh, courts that our inability to use uh, cable uh, services was a violation of our right to speak. We were entitled to speak through the cable lines. We sued. We won. So then we had the ability to be in the cable business. Likewise, at U.S. West, one of the challenges we had is uh, the cellular companies were becoming, you know, sort of new and in, in, in their infancy. Uh, the view was, uh, gee, uh, incumbent telephone companies, it's not fair for you to use your customer information about all those customers you have on the landline and share that with the people that are in the cellular business. So the FCC said, you can't share that information across the company. 
And we said, well, wait a second. We have the ability to speak with one another. There's free speech rights within a corporation. We sued the FCC. We said they were violating our speech rights. We won. Now, both of those are examples of something that you are not sitting in your office waiting for the phone to ring and providing responsive, uh, high-quality legal work, but you're actually thinking about the legal function and how you can use it to advance the business. And I would say going forward, that is the way that law groups will add significant value to their corporations and not just be cost centers. I think that's great, Mark. I think the one critical item that you, you mentioned, which I think bears a little bit of repetition, is that this has to flow down throughout the entirety of the legal department. You need to instill in every lawyer, uh, from, the, from the line lawyer up through your hierarchy, that their, their requirement is to be integrated with the business uh, and to be help the business achieve their goals. And when you see lawyers in-house uh, who, who take a standoffish view to their customers, their clients, uh, that's when you find someone who is likely to be off the bus, as you say. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Randy. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, being close to your clients, uh, you know, our clients don't want lawyers that are cops. Uh, they don't want people to say, strike, ball, strike, ball. They want somebody that, that doesn't do that, but actually helps them win the game. Uh, they don't want us to talk in the third person, as you and I know. It's not about what you can do. It's about what, you know, we can do together. Exactly. Let's change gears for a second, Mark. Uh, I've been uh, very admiring of your championship of diversity in the legal profession, both uh, in law firms and in, and in corporations to create opportunities for people of color and women. But let's start at the beginning here. Let's start with the why. Why do you think diversity is an important goal for a general counsel? To me, it's uh, um, sort of pretty straightforward. As I mentioned earlier, I tend to be a bit of an analytical person. So uh, really focus on uh, what I would say are six areas. First of all, as I said earlier, it's all about talent and teams. You're only as good as your talent. You're only as good as your team. And if you look at the population that's out there, it's uh, what our demographic destiny, uh, it's changing and changing uh, dramatically. Uh, In the year 2042, I think it is, uh, whites will be a minority in this country, never to be reversed. 57% of the undergrads are women. I think about 50% of law school grads are women. So if you want to get the best talent, you've got to be going out into the, the uh, diverse pools. The same uh, uh, demographic destiny is uh, impacting our customer base, too. Uh, if you want to be like your customers, if you want to understand your customers, uh, you've got to be diverse. Uh, so so I'd say uh, demographics are the, the, the first uh, two things that are causing uh, impact on talent uh, and on understanding our, our customers. Then you move to uh, other factors. Uh, better decisions are made by a diverse team. Uh, you, you frankly uh, have more ideas on the table, different perspectives, more to, to sort through, uh, and you just plain make uh, better decisions. Um, innovation and creativity, which has sort of become the buzz in corporate America these days, uh, clearly is driven uh, by uh, diversity. If you read uh, Walters Isaacson's uh, most recent book, I think it's called The Innovators, you know, he talks in the, in the book about the value of collaboration, the value of different perspectives that have really driven the significant innovation uh, in our country and, frankly, in the world. Uh, so to be innovative and creative, you, you need to have uh, diversity. Then, then a diverse team simply is more engaged, and studies will show Gallup does a study every year and shows that, that uh, at the end of the day, an engaged team is much more productive. Uh, and so, so an engaged team is one that comes to the office 
feeling they can be their full self, feeling that they can add their full value without having to worry about who they are or what they have to cover. And so at the end of the day, you will be more engaged as a team. And again, as I mentioned, that drives productivity. So, so I would say for talent, for customers, better decisions, innovation, engagement, and productivity, diversity has got to be a focus of your law department. I couldn't agree more, but let's move on to the how. You know, it's my view that achieving results in the quest for more diversity is not an easy thing. In fact, it's very hard. And I'd like to know what steps you've taken as a general counsel that you believe produce the most effective results in this effort. You know, again, again, I sort of create the buckets around this, although in this area, they overlap a bit. I would say that the areas I focus on are creating the environment, uh, branding it, uh, developing a pipeline, and then uh, also developing and promoting the individuals. So first of all, you need to create the environment that is receptive and uh, values uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, and uh, you, you have a series of actions under that. Uh, first of all, you've got to have a diversity policy for the department as a whole. Uh, you probably have a diversity committee with a clear charter what they're responsible for and how they help lead the efforts within your department. Um, you probably are going to include uh, in creating the environment some sort of diversity education for the team. Uh, training around unconscious biases would be very important in this current world, uh, and we all have them. And so to have the awareness is uh, valuable. And at the end of the day, to, to really drive the environment, you're going to have to have this uh, be a part of your performance management. People are going to be held accountable uh, for valuing and promoting diversity and inclusion. On the brand side, there's a lot you can do. You can develop partnerships both, uh, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, whether it be law firms or with uh, entities out in the public, uh, that uh, affinity groups, uh, where you can get the brand out that you support diversity uh, and inclusion. You can attend the events. I know I've seen you at the events, Randy. And we don't just talk to one another at those events, but we meet the individuals that are attending, uh, get their cards, give them our cards. And one of the things I try to do is before I go to bed every night, every card I, I've gotten, I send an email to the person and indicate how I enjoyed meeting with them and uh, ask that they keep in contact. In the branding space, you also can get down to the law schools, meet with the, 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 the law students. We have a, a 1L program where we bring in 1L diverse uh, students uh, of several every year uh, that frankly help position them for their 2L job. But it also gets our brand out in the community, both with the firms that they end up at and also the law firms that they come from, excuse me, the law schools that they come from, uh, to make it clear that we really value uh, diversity. We also mentor uh, law students. Uh, I've always been mentoring one every year. Uh, and unfortunately or unfortunately, they stay with me, so I have uh, quite a few that I'm mentoring. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, um, mentoring is a good way to develop the brand. And I'd like you, I know you do street law uh, at Verizon. Uh, we work with Just the Beginning Foundation. And it's a good way of uh, making it uh, public, uh, the value that you have uh, for diversity and inclusion in the community. As far as creating the pipeline, this is not only for just people that you might want to hire in-house, but it's also for the people you might want to hire as an external counsel. Uh, again, as part of your branding activities, you're meeting all these folks. These are folks you ought to connect with that hopefully you will either even bring into an in-house job or you'll know about if you have a particular project. So, so creating that pipeline of people that, that potentially could be, become part of your team, internal or external, uh, is very important. For the law firms you use, 
You want to make sure you measure how they're doing. Are they putting diversity on your cases? Is the diversity of the individuals, whether it be gender, whether it be people of color, whether it be gay and lesbian, you want to ensure that you are getting your matters populated and not just rotating associates, but at the partnership level, the junior and senior partnership level uh, with uh, diverse individuals. And then, uh, frankly, at the end of the day, uh, developing and promoting the, the, the folks, both inside and outside. Uh, huge believer in flexible working arrangement that, arrangements that can help a lot with gender diversity, uh, to have the flexibility on making uh, the workplace uh, be one where we're not, you know, just selling hours to our clients, but selling results, and I don't necessarily care where you get it done, uh, I think is very uh, receptive, to, uh, in particular, to uh, gender diversity. And don't forget to onboard uh, as you bring people in from the outside. You need to understand that people that are different uh, may have different concerns. And one of the things we always do is assign mentors to all of our, our new attorneys so people can transition effectively uh, in-house. So I would say those are the four areas that we focus on. I like to say the overlap a bit, but to, to create a structured program around those four areas with a series of action items, I think is a very good way to get to the how to improve diversity in-house. Yeah, I think it's very important that you have a thoughtful approach, as you've demonstrated, Mark, and you do it better than anybody else that I know, of setting down uh, measurable goals and then insisting that you and your team, and you hold yourself responsible too, I know, you and your team meet those goals is the, really the way to accomplish some of these tougher uh, items that, that the general counsel, as a leader of a business, has to attend to. So, Mark, as a final question here, I want to just get your quick prognostication on what's going to be new in the legal world. What trends do you see that might affect the law and, and be of importance to folks who might be listening? I would say the trends that affect our business are really also affecting our law, and I guess they're probably affecting our business or society. The, the whole issue around um, uh, innovation, technology, information, data is a trend uh, that uh, is really going to impact our business, uh, by that the legal business. Information is becoming much more of a commodity, uh, and uh, where you and I started our careers, we might have had our file drawers of briefs and of memos that we had created, and that was our value in part. You know, that's all now being distributed you know, over the Internet. And so, so it's changing the practice of law and the practice of in-house law where it's the judgment that we put onto that, onto the information that is much more valuable. So the, the use of information, the sharing of information is really going to be critical. Data analytics, you say, well, that doesn't really apply to law. It sure does apply to law. We're going to be able to look at trends. We're going to be able to look at uh, things that are occurring, uh, whether they be uh, in contracting, whether they be in negotiating uh, M&A deals, whether it be in uh, litigation. And we're going to be able to look at data on what has happened in the past to use that to better uh, predict the future and help us make decisions. So information, data, technology, I think, is one of the trends. The other one that sort of goes against that, which is kind of odd, is at the same time um, the world is becoming more flat, regulation is becoming almost more non-flat, whatever that would be, I guess, the mountainous. Uh, and um, it seems every jurisdiction wants to create its own rule or regulation. And so whether it be a different state or a different city in the U.S. or a different country, they all seem to be wanting to create their own regulatory rules. So the complexity of regulation and the need to effectively work our way through that is something that is really going to be a, a challenge, I think, for all corporations and for all legal departments. 
And then last, I would say there are some areas of law that just simply need to be fixed. Um, and one of my bugaboos is litigation. You know, 99% of all cases in this country settle. Uh, 99.9, I think it is. It's, it's just huge on the civil side. And uh, one of the things I tell my, my lawyers is, you know, pick your best 10% and, you know, let's get rid of the rest. And let's get rid of them cheaply because uh, that means that uh, one out of every 10 you're working on uh, still might go to trial. But even those will, will disappear. So, so why are we spending all this money as a company, uh, as a society? Uh, it is, frankly, just a, a waste of money, and we've got to find a way to be more efficient on doing that because we're just throwing money away. A lot of lawyers make money on it, but I don't think it's good for necessarily our clients or society. Mark, thank you very much for spending time with me today on In-House Legal. It's been a hugely informative half hour, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Randy. I enjoyed it uh, very much, too. So uh, I guess one thing I would say in closing is I went to a conference once uh, put on by um, the people from Zappos, and Jen Lynn was there, and they talk about you know what Zappos really sells, and they talk about they deliver happiness. They don't deliver shoes. They deliver happiness. And one of the things I would encourage for everybody that's listening is, you know, step back and think about what really makes you happy. Uh, and uh, in that regard, uh, people's studies will show it's not money or title. Uh, and... Um, you know, when, when I heard this presentation by Jen, I go, gee, I don't know what makes me happy, and I had to spend some time thinking about it. Uh, but I do think one of the things you ought to think about, both in your career uh, in the office, uh, because it applies there, and frankly, on the personal side, is, you know, time is probably the most limited resource we have. Uh, you can't buy it, can't reverse it, can't accelerate it, can't stop it. And how we spend that time in our working hours or in our personal hours really reflects our values. So use it wisely. Thanks, Mark. And I want to thank all of you who have listened to our podcast today. For all of you listeners who would like more information about what you've heard today, please visit www.legaltalknetwork.com, or you can also follow us on iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. And that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Randy Milch. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another great episode of In-House Legal. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.